Father's Day to you, and that uh, this morning we're going to consider what it, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and a father. And before we do that, uh, we're going to ask God to bless us, God our Father, to bless us in our study. And let's bow our heads and join our hearts and ask for this blessing in Jesus' name. Father, what an awesome responsibility it is to, to be entrusted with, with other lives and for their spiritual well-being. And we're thankful, Father, for this book that we call the Bible that instructs our minds and for your spirit that lives inside of us that is helping us to be sanctified and to be transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus, in such a way that we are imitating you as our ultimate and eternal Father. And as we study these different passages throughout this entire inspired sacred word, Father, what we're, we're asking for in the name of Jesus is for the eyes that see and the ears that hear. For this, Father, is, is a job that we take very seriously. And we ask, Father, for the blessing of, of discernment and, and of knowledge and of strength and courage to be transformed in all that we do. This blessing we ask for, Father, in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. I want to begin with a story about a fellow that uh, was at the office one day, received a phone call, wife wanted him to go to the grocery store, and he's like a lot of men, he doesn't know one aisle from the other in the grocery store, doesn't go all that much. So he goes to pick up the things from the, uh, the grocery store that the wife wanted him to get, and like a lot of these men, he's going up and down each aisle. And, and what he begins to, to see is that as he's going up and down each aisle, he's passing the same guy in the aisle with a little boy in the cart. And the first time he passes this man, the little boy is asking for a candy bar. Dad, can I have a candy bar? 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 Can I have a candy bar, Dad? Can I have a candy bar? Now, this fella did not hear the entire conversation. He just heard the dad say, Now, Billy, this is not going to take very long. And as they passed in the next aisle, this three-year-old, please, had increased several octaves. And the dad is saying very quietly to him, Billy, now just calm down. We'll all be done here in just a minute. And when they pass near the dairy case, this kiddo is screaming and kicking with, without mercy. And dad was still keeping his cool. And in a very low vo voice, he was saying, now, Billy, settle down. We're almost out of here. Well, the dad and the son reached the checkout counter just right before this fella, and this dad is still, you know, giving no evidence of losing control, even though this kid is screaming and kicking. Can I have a candy bar? Can I have a candy bar? And the dad very calmly says to him over and over again, Billy, we'll be in the car in just a minute. Everything's going to be okay. Well, this man, he was very impressed beyond words, and after paying for his groceries, he hurries up to catch up with what he considers to be this amazing example of patience and self-control, just in time to hear him say again, Billy, we're done. It's going to be okay. And he comes up behind this dad, and he taps him on the shoulder, and he says, Sir, you don't know me, but I've been watching you in the store, and I just couldn't help and watch how you handled little Billy. You are amazing. And this dad replied, you don't get it, don't, uh, do you? I'm Billy. <laughs> Would you agree with this statement that fatherhood is a challenge? Say amen if fatherhood is a challenge. Amen. Consider the first time this, uh, this father, first time father is 
feeding his own baby for the first time. And he's, he's feeding this baby some strained peas. Man, I could spend 20 minutes talking about all the levels of wrong that has been foisted upon the world because of strained peas. The color doesn't make sense. And the taste, I don't know, I've never tasted it, but you know what's happening. This guy is feeding his baby for the first time, and naturally there are traces of food everywhere. It's on the baby, it's on him, it's on the floor, it's on the ceiling, and it's, it's on the walls. And then the wife comes in, and she sees what's happened. What a mess. And she looks at the baby, and then she looks at the husband, who just appears to be you know, just sitting there looking absentmindedly into space. And she goes, what in the world are you doing? And he replies, I'm waiting for the first coat to dry so I can apply another. <laughs> you know, while shopping and feeding may be challenges, nothing is as hard for a parent as raising their children to be disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. It's tough. And the goal of fathers and our church family is this. Our children will know God and desire to love Him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says that is the greatest commandment. Over in Psalm 78, verses 5 through 7, David writes, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to what? To teach their children so that the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but keep His commands. This is God's Word. Now for this to happen, you simply cannot spend your days as a father just living sort of lackadaisically or flippantly or going the route of least resistance. You have to invest your energies toward eternity. And if you want your faith to endure for all kinds of generations, throughout all the generations, then you must become increasingly confident and focused, dads, on the kind of faith that you are passing on to your children. So take, take a second and think about your own faith. Think about the ways that you model Jesus, the way that you emulate, uh, you're conformed to the image of Jesus in the way that you speak, in your thought life, in the way that you conduct business, in the way that you conduct yourself in, in tough situations, your relationship with your, your spouse. Take a second to think about your own faith and ask the question, do you make the life of a disciple, the Christian lifestyle, the, the surrender to Jesus, do you make that faith look attractive to your children? That's a really important question because of this principle. The, principle. the first principle we're going to talk about this morning is you can't pass on what you don't have. You cannot pass on, dads, what you don't have. A lot of times we think the job of being a spiritual father is to make sure that these kids are in church, that they're in Bible class, that they're a part of the youth group. And believe me, those things are important. But the essential thing is that your children see in you your firm conviction for the things of God that is a direct result of your complete surrender to Him. Anything less than that is what Dallas Willard calls sin management. That is, you're just trying to lower the level of sin activity in your life. 
Now, we don't always practice faith as a personal surrender to God, do we? And what that means by default is that sometimes we, do not, we don't teach the, the meaning of discipleship as a surrender to Jesus of Nazareth to our children. You know, going back to Psalm 78, what you begin to see in Israel was that the problem of faith for Israel was not that they lacked the knowledge of God. I mean, they had... They had, they had they, they had the, the Ten Commandments that were delivered to them from Mount Sinai. They had the, the presence, the literal presence of God that they could see night and day with them. They had the evidence in the food that they were eating and the water they were drinking that God was the one that provided it for them. The problem was not a knowledge of, of God in, in, a, in a, a, a cognitive sense. It was a matter of whether or not they were living according to what that knowledge told them about the world. One time, well, go, going back to Psalm 78, what you see in the problem of faith was that, was that there was not this dependence, this reliance, this love, this reverence, this obedience. If you go further in Psalm 78, beginning in verse 9, David says, The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by His law. Drop down to verse 17, But they continued to sin against Him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. You see, the problem in Psalm 78 was, was not the passing on of the literal knowledge of God. The problem was that, that faith, defined as a palpable, a visible reliance on God, a love, a reverence for God in all things. You know, one time in Luke chapter 18, Jesus asked a very important question. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? You know, a lot of times we make, we make the Christianity so complicated. And, and we, we think about it in, in, in such complex ways that we sort of lose some of the essential teaching. And one of the most essential, simplest things that Jesus taught, what is it that pleases God? What is it that when the Son of Man returns to the earth, what is it that He's going to be looking for? Faith. Will He find it? And will He find it in you? So here's the goal. The goal as a man of faith, as a disciple, as a Christian, is to continually develop your faith. Everything begins with becoming an ever-growing disciple of Jesus. Let me put it another way. Do people see the greatness of Jesus in you even when you're not talking about Him? Listen, this is, this is not about trying to be perfect, nor is it... Uh, trying to be morally upright in order to gain salvation. But what, it, what we are talking about and addressing this morning is the fact that these things have already happened in your life. What kind of life are you living? Because they are realities and truths in your life. Are you living a life that is worthy of the salvation, the blessing, the confidence, the power, the significance that you have received because you are a son of God? It's about being transformed. And it's about the fact that as a man of God, you live differently. The fact that you're a person of faith means that you live differently in this world. Are you at worship at every opportunity? Because when you worship, you're expressing 
you're, you're not just expressing truths about God, but you are expressing truths about the reality of everything you think to be to, to your life connected to. Are you at worship at every opportunity? Are, are you involved in serving other people? Are you getting together with Christian friends for fellowship? Are you actively studying the Word of God where your children see you with the book open in your lap or at the dinner table or at your desk or in your favorite chair reading the Word of God, breathing it in, taking it in? Are you taking steps to grow as a disciple of Jesus? Now this is really important just be, at, a, at a personal level, the kids need to see this and it needs to happen in your own life. But it's really important because how it touches on this second principle, which is you're teaching even when you're not aware of it. You are teaching even when you're not aware of it. You may not realize this, but there are eyes on you all the time. You're watched in the neighborhood, you're watched in your office, and at home there are little eyes that are watching you. And what those little eyes need to hear you say as well as live is this. What I say is what I do. What I say is what I do. This lady writes by the name of Polly Barron. She writes, the best things your children will learn about God will be from watching you try to find out for yourself. Jesus said, seek and you will find. They will not always do what you tell them to do, but they will be good and bad as they see you being. If your children see you seeking, they will seek. End of quote. You know, it's probably this characteristic in children that's behind Paul's thinking when he writes in Ephesians 5.1, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. Your children will imitate you, so it's important to remember that you are living that example every day. In fact, men... We need to say this together out loud. I am a living example every day of the greatness of Jesus. I am a living example every day of the greatness of Jesus. Men, fathers, I want you to say this with me. I am a living example every day of the greatness of Jesus. Let's say it again with conviction. I am a living example every day of the greatness of Jesus. And your children will see that. Every day you're to be modeling the answers to the questions. How do I put into practice what I've learned? How is God being honored in this decision that I'm facing? How should I respond to this situation? Should I laugh? Should I get angry? Should I speak or should I be silent? Should I ignore it? These are the things that as you're being conformed to the image of Jesus and that Word of God it, that, is, that resides in your heart becomes to, uh, begins to, to transform you and you begin to see the implications of discipleship not only in your own life but in the lives of your children, you begin to wrestle with those questions. And you begin to realize that every day you are an example of Jesus to everyone who sees you. Principle number three, build walls that don't crumble. Build walls that don't crumble. Uh, a counselor by the name of Foster Klein was, uh, tells this story. He's counseling a young mother whose son Graham was a walking slot machine, meaning that the boy ate coins. Little boy, he's eating pennies and nickels and dimes, not many quarters and no half dollars. She's thankful for that, but it's still a problem. And as soon as Graham would start to swallow a nickel, the mom would make like the Samoan pearl diver and try to dig it out. I tell him not to do it, but I can't make him stop. She would exclaim, what am I going to do? 
Well, Foster found out during their conversation that they lived in, in Denver near this very busy thoroughfare, and so he asked the mom, does Graham run out into Wadsworth Boulevard? And the mom said, well, of course not. On that, I mean business. Well, one limit was responded to with noise and frustration. The other in a firm, no-nonsense manner. So here's Graham. Graham knew that playing in traffic was a no-no. But when it came to eating coins, bon appetit. Listen, people, kids are most secure around parents who are strong and who don't allow the limits that they have placed around their kids to crumble. In ancient literature, a strong wall meant a safe city. A crumbling wall meant a city whose safety had been compromised. That's why we can never rationalize or give rationalizations for misbehavior. Children need those walls that will not crumble nor be compromised. And you know how that begins? It's part of what I talked about last week, learning to live within God's will. That is a lifelong endeavor that begins when we are young. And that's why Proverbs over and over and over reminds us of the important part of a father in his teaching, how, what that plays in a children's heart. Psalm verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Psalm 4, verses 1 and 2, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. Proverbs 4, beginning in verse 10. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I will instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. You know how you build those walls that don't crumble? You take every opportunity to say, my son, my daughter, listen to what I'm saying. There's a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live. There's a word that you can always trust and there's a word that you should, that, that, that's dubious. There, there is, there is a, a right behavior and a wrong behavior. And it all stems back to the wisdom that is found in God's Word. Principle four, teach your children to love the church. Teach your children to love the church. You know, one of the joys I have in this church is watching all the families line up as they did a couple of weeks ago at our baby recognition service. And I always wonder if out of that group, which one of those children will go to foreign countries to plant, plant churches? And, and out of that group of children, those babies that we see standing up front, are any of them you know, going to be involved in actively teaching the gospel the good news of the kingdom of God to people around them. You know, there is in Luke chapter 2 one of the few stories we have of Jesus as a child. His family had gone to Jerusalem from Nazareth to celebrate the Passover when Jesus is about 12 years old. And the family returns to, to uh, is it returning to Nazareth. They think that, you know, Jesus is with other members of their group. They soon discover that he's not, that he's not around. And so they hurry back to Jerusalem. And after three days of hunting him, they find him in the temple courts and he's talking with the teachers of the law. And they scold him, but Jesus says to them, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? You know, it would, it would take too long to talk about all of the ways the church blesses a person's life. But the real issue is teaching our children that blessings do exist in corporate church life in the community, the community of people of faith. 
that blessings do exist here and that it's God's will that we be a part of a community of people called the church. The church is here for a reason. And one of the challenges those of us in leadership have is to make sure that each member of our church family feels like family, that they feel important and cherished, that they are like, like, like family in the most literal sense of the word to us. That's also a responsibility of fathers. You can't expect your children to think attendance at worship is important, that time spent in classes educating our minds with God's Word, being involved in the doing of good deeds to connect people to God, that all of that's important if it comes second to everything else in life. Dads, your, your attitudes and actions about church in general, about the individual people who make up that church, the study of the Bible, that, that time spent in worship, how you use your resources for the kingdom, all of that influences how your children will feel about the church in the future. And we have to say it over and over again, just as Joshua said it, as for me and my family, we serve the Lord. But kids who are never around, who are never influenced by older believers, older disciples, never involved, never encouraged, never blessed, will find little relevance for the church later in life. I want you to take, fathers, just take a minute and think about all of the things that have come to your children just because they're, they're a part of this particular church family. Think about how your babies are held by other people. Think about the times at the hospital, how people from the church family have shown up and prayed and encouraged. Think about the investment of so many of, of, of our women in our, in our Bible classes, in our preschool classes, to teach your children. Think about, think about all of the adult men and, 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 and college-age men who were a part of your, your son and daughter's life during their teenage years. Think about, think about all of those people that had an influence on them for good and for the kingdom and for Christ when you thought that you had no influence on them. And think about how your kids, when they come into this group, this group of people, the older folks, our senior adults who walk over and ask how they're doing and love them and show up at that senior recognition every year in, in May. And think about all of those people in the stands, whether it's volleyball or football or baseball, all of those people that have no blood-kin relationship to you except the blood of Jesus. And they show up because they love your kids. You teach your children to love the church. To love the church. Wherever they, wherever they live, wherever they go. To love the church and to be a part of it. And last thing, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because we, we, you know, I, we talk about it a lot, but... Nurture your marriage. Greatest thing you can give your kids, fathers, is a great marriage. I've said on many occasions that if I understand what Paul is driving at in Ephesians 5, someone, anyone, even your own children should be able to look at your marriage and get an idea of what the gospel is all about. The love, love grows through the struggles it endures. Modern people are going to take issue with that because Pain should never be associated, should never accompany love. 
the truth is that those children who call you Father and most of what they transfer to their understanding of God the Father will come from how they experience you in their early years and especially how they see you treat their mother, your wife. When you are forgiving, it makes believing their Father in Heaven forgives them, makes that believing that that forgiveness is there for them a little bit easier. When you are faithful, then it makes believing that their Father in Heaven is faithful to them, makes that a little easier. When they, when they see your, 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 your steadfastness, and, and faith during times of adversity and crisis, they begin to understand. It becomes a little bit easier for them to, to perceive that God is with them all the time. And that He gives them a peace that passes understanding. That He does. Even though there is great pain and inexpressible joy that's like an underwater river. It's always there even though you may not see it or even know where it comes from. Fathers, don't, don't abdicate that role. But more than anything else, on this day, when the whole United States is looking at you and saying, you know what? Fathers are important. And fathers do play a, 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 a big part of, of what's happening in their children's lives. And, and they are a big piece of that puzzle. On a day like this, it's important to galvanize ourselves in such a way that we are courageous and brave and persevering and steadfast fast and faithful and loving and, and learning what it means to be a disciple in every area of our life and understanding that that life is like salt and that kind of life is like light in a dark, dark world. We're going to end our, uh, the sermon part a little bit different. I just feel the need that we need to pray especially for our fathers. So we're going to ask all our fathers to stand right now. And I'm going to ask you to continue standing as we have the rest of the church stand as a, I give you an invitation after this prayer. But let's bow our heads and join our hearts and ask God to bless our church family and the fathers that are a piece of it. Father, what, what an awesome and, and fearful task You have laid before us to, to, to teach the next generation and the generation yet unborn to know You and to love You and to serve You and to obey You and to desire You. And as daunting as this task is, Father, for every, every father in this, this building, it is a, a tremendous blessing, blessing without, without words, to know that we follow in Your steps and we, we experience the kind of Father that You are to us. Our minds are instructed, Father, by Your Word. Our, our hearts are transformed by Your Spirit. And every day, Father, we walk in Your steps, learning to be more like Your Son Jesus, learning to, to, to emulate what, what a true Father, what a true Father is. And in this modern world, this Western world that we live in, Father, and have our influence day by day, we pray for our families, we pray for our children, we pray for our marriages, but on this day, Father, we pray for our fathers. 
Give them wisdom, Father. Give them strength. Give them perseverance. Give them a, a, an, a, a vision, Father. Give them a vision for what it means for them to live in the kingdom and to bless their children with that same experience as well. Bless these fathers. Bless these fathers in the name of Jesus and all the church said. Why don't we all stand as I give you an opportunity to, to think about what we've been talking about this morning. You know, this morning is really about living a transformed life. It's about the effects of, of, of God's salvation extended to us through the cross of Jesus making a difference. And that's what it's really all about. It wasn't done as a showpiece. It wasn't done as a trophy. The, the cross of Jesus, is, is, if it's nothing more than a masterpiece painting that sits on a wall, it's a cruel piece of art. But if we understand that cross as, it, as it's God changing the world and changing history by changing each and every individual life, that begins with us understanding that it's God's love and it's God taking our sin and that sin being paid for, but in love, us not having to pay for it. But in love, His Son saying, I will pay for it. In order that His righteousness might become ours. And when God looks at us, He sees His Son. This morning, that initial transformation can be yours. That initial salvation, that conversion can be yours. By accepting Jesus and being baptized for the remission of your sins. And receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's also an opportunity. If, if maybe you've already made your relationship with God secure in Christ, then maybe what we offer this morning is an opportunity to be prayed for because maybe you haven't been doing as great as you really want to as a disciple of Jesus. And you see all of these, these blank areas in your life that need to be filled in by God's Word, lived out in your life on a daily basis. And maybe what it is this morning is, is you feel the struggle overcoming you a little bit. Let me tell you, brother, let me tell you, sister, that God is alive. And He's alive in our church. And, he is, and, and God, who is alive, hears our prayers and through His Spirit changes people's lives. And if in some way we can minister to you this morning in any way, our shepherds, spiritual leaders of this church, are going to be down front. And if we can minister to you in any way, we want you to come and talk to these shepherds. As Ben leads us in this song, let's sing with all of our heart praise to God. Come, thy fount of every blessing, to my heart to sing thy grace, streams of mercy.